Do you ever have those moments when, when you realize that you've taken something for granted? I unfortunately have more of those moments than I'd like to admit. And I had one of those last week. Like many of you guys, there's just stuff going around and everybody's been a little sick, but the stomach bug hit our house pretty hard last week. And I know you guys don't want me to go into any real details, but I'm going to anyways. <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I found myself, you know, the stomach bug hit our family and I found myself after about 12 hours of laying on my side on the floor in the bathroom, realizing how much I take for granted just how good it feels to feel good. Anybody been sick recently? And, and you're just reminded like, man, like it, it I, I, don't, I take for granted how good I normally feel. You, you know, your body is an amazing thing. You know, it, just the fact that your body is typically always working together without even having to think about it, without having to tell your lungs to breathe or your eyes to blink, your, your, your body moves. You know, have you ever thought about how the systems of your body is all work together. Here's kind of a picture of how the systems of of your body work together. And, you know, just thinking about the fact that your circulatory, your respiratory systems all really flow together. Your digestive system, it it absorbs nutrients from your food and your small intestines, and then it sends that out through your body to strengthen your, your skeletal system and your muscular system through the red blood cells that carry oxygen to your body, your white blood cells, they, they fight infection without even thinking about it, without even giving an extra thought. Your, your body is continually working to make you healthy, and we take it for granted, don't we? You know, I was reading this week about just how, how uh, the, the way we, we breathe oxygen and the, the number of breaths we have each day, you, you know, you think about it, if you take anything for granted, we take breathing so much for granted. You know, just the fact that you don't even have to think about taking a breath. You, you take that breath in, and, and did you know that the human body needs two pounds of fresh air a day, two mass pounds of fresh air a day to be able to function at, 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 at an optimum level? And, and the air, it's not just oxygen. The air around us is 25% oxygen, about 70% nitrogen. Nitrogen is kind of the boss gas in our world, and you, you, you need to breathe these in, but don't, you don't just breathe that in. When you exhale your carbon dioxide, that carbon dioxide helps vegetables and plants grow, and trees circulate that back into oxygen and nitrogen, and it's just this beautiful process that the ecosystem runs without us even having to think about it. Isn't that amazing? The way that God wired us and that God works through us, that this this beautiful body, this beautiful world we have is just perfectly in tune. We take that for granted. You know, it's interesting. Neuroscience has done a lot of research on breathing. And it actually found that if you can learn to control your breathing, it really can help you fight things like anxiety, depression, stress. There's something actually called the psychological sigh. Somebody say psychological sigh. So there's been a lot of research done on this. this is, we're going to do a test experiment. You guys like experiments. I know you do. The psychological sigh is, a, is something you can do when you kind of feel stressed or you feel a little anxious. And here's the psychological sigh. It's two short inhales through the nose and then one long exhale through the mouth. So it's like... You guys ready? Everybody good? All right, here we go. Ready? We're going to breathe two in and one out. Ready? Let's go. Don't you guys feel all so relaxed? Just so calm, 
Just, just really chill. Do that one to three times, it says, that actually it can reduce stress and anxiety. Your body is amazing. And if you take care of it, and if you don't take it for granted, it can do amazing things because God makes everything good. See, there's something else that God made really good too that when taken care of can really do beautiful things, but if taken for granted can also start to... Um, fly out of our mind's eye, and that's the church. That's the body of the church. One day, Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi. Here's a picture of Caesarea Philippi. I actually took this picture last year. It was really awesome. This is a place where they would worship Zeus, and uh, the, the Greeks would worship all these pagan gods like Pan. And Jesus took his disciples here, and that big hole um, is where Zeus would, and some of the other gods would be worshipped. To the left was a place where uh, water would, would melt from the mountains and would dry up and come out. And they thought it was kind of a, the gate to hell, the gate to Hades. And Jesus took them there and he looked down on this um, kind of gate to the underworld. And he says, um, who, who do people say that I am? And he asked the disciples, I said, notice what Matthew 16, verse 13 tells us. It says that now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the son of man is? And they give him a bunch of answers. Some people say that you're a prophet. Other people say that you're like Elijah or John the Baptist. And Jesus asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter, notice what he says. He says, you are the Christ. You are the savior. You're the one we've been waiting for. Who's gonna save us of our sins and, and set us back on this path of life and rescue us. And you're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus looks at, at Peter and he's like, well, you didn't, you know, you didn't come up with this on your own, but God revealed this to you. And he says, and I tell you that you were Peter. And he's, it's a kind of a word play on his name, Peter, which means Petros, which means rock. He's on this mountain looking over on this picture area. And he says, and on you, Peter, on this statement that I am the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. And then he looks down at this hole and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, and I will give you the king, the keys the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says this beautiful thing. He says, I'm going to actually build my church on this statement that I am the son of God, the Messiah. And then I'm going to give you, my followers, the keys to this church. And then you're going to push back the gates of hell. That you're going to bring dead things to life through me. And what we have seen since Jesus died and rose again is that Jesus has continually has, has built this church, and it's through his church that people are coming to know him, that people like Luciano are putting their faith in Jesus and coming up here and getting baptized and claiming that God takes dead things and he brings them back to life. And that's the beautiful thing about us as, as people who are, are far away from each other, disconnected in life, that we can find in the church a place where we can have an interaction with God. It's through Jesus' church that inch by inch, day by day, the kingdom of heaven can invade this world around us and we can meet the king of kings, the, the savior of the world. And he can change our lives too from the inside out. So the, the church is this beautiful thing that, that, that Jesus gives us. But I gotta ask you a question. If the, if the heart of the church is to be a place where we can come and experience Jesus, that we can come and, and learn about uh, God and his truth, and we can have relationships with other people who are on that same journey. Then why does the church look like it does in America in 2024? 
You know, the statistics say that about 4,500 churches close every year. Good news is about 3,000 churches get started. Praise God, we need to make that number go higher. But 4,500 churches a year close in the U.S. Statistics, we, we, we've been talking about statistics throughout this series. And when statistics show that fewer and fewer people are going to church. Fewer and fewer people see the need to be a part of a church. That fewer and fewer people are, are, are plugging in and, and, or going less often. And so it makes you wonder, you, if Jesus has this beautiful plan for the church, then where's the shortfall? Right? Where's the disconnect? And I think there's a lot of reasons. You know, we, we could go through and I could give you a, a, a ton of different answers that, that scholars and Bible theologians give, church missiologists give for what's going on. But I, I want to ask just one question today. Could it be that maybe the reason the church that we see on the corners in our neighborhoods don't look like the church that Jesus described in Matthew 16, could it be it's because we, God's people, have taken for granted the role we're supposed to play in that church? You know, you know it's interesting. When, when Jesus talked about this church, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm building this, this church to push back the gates of the hell, and I'm going to give you the keys. And so we have the keys now. Jesus is the one piloting the ship, but he asks us to be involved in that. And so there's a disconnect. What could it be? And I think here's the reality, that when we take things for granted, things break down, right? Like if you take your car for granted and you don't change the oil in your car and you put diesel in it instead of unleaded, your car is going to break down, right? Some of you are like, I know, been there recently. Like if your body, if all you do is eat fried chicken and chocolate cake, your body's going to break down, right? It's going to be a fun ride for a little bit, but your body's going to break down. And the same thing goes for the church. When we take the church for granted and we miss the fact that we are called as people who have been pursuing Jesus, been pursued by Jesus, who have said yes to Jesus, that this church is supposed to be something beautiful that we are called to play a part in. And if we don't play our part, then it's going to break down too. You know, there's been a lot of talk about what, the kind of state of the church is nowadays. And it, it talks about that, that the church used to be like the hub of the community, right? A hundred years ago, you know, 75 years ago, even 50 years ago, the church was like the center place of the community, right? That's where you went to the dance recital. That's when you went to the daddy-daughter dance. The church is where you went for the potluck, and that was where the Wednesday night meal was. And then, you know, the culture changed, and the church kind of becomes this, this thing that you do on Sunday mornings now, and, and maybe you go another time during the week. And it's really kind of lost that central hub, and it's really kind of become this thing that we have to weigh against all the other things. So what, what church has kind of turned into is this consumeristic thing where people tend to see church as a Sunday morning thing that we go and we kind of get entertained and we, we, we get to kind of wrestle with some things with God and hear a couple good songs and then we go home and, and then we go back and we do it again on the next Sunday. But here's the challenge. What happens when the church stops entertaining you? What happens when a Netflix show gets boring? Turn it off, right? Go find something else. Go watch Longmire for the 17th time, right? Or <laughs> something. You know, what happens when church just stops entertaining you and that's what your desire for church is? Well, you can find a different church or stop going all together because Lord knows there's a lot of things you can do on a Sunday morning instead. And so 
What's interesting, though, is Jesus said, I'm going to build my church to push back the gates of hell and to change dead things into life. He didn't say anything about entertainment. He didn't say anything about comfort. He says, instead, inch by inch, my kingdom is going to pervade this world, and I want you to be a part of it. So the question is, then, how do we change the trend, and how do we help the church be what Jesus created it to be? Because he gives us the keys. So what does that look like for us? Well, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a really beautiful picture. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Ephesians chapter 4 will be in. Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome to a church in Ephesus, about AD 62. And Paul, Paul planted churches. Paul saw churches thrive. Paul saw churches struggle because of fighting and strife and all kinds of different things. So Paul knew something about what it looks like for a church to thrive and be the church that Jesus calls it to be. And so notice the picture Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a beautiful picture. Notice what he says, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is in chains, in, under arrest in Rome for preaching the gospel. And he, he writes this, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul says that as a believer, as someone who said yes to Jesus, God calls you now to walk in a certain way. The idea of walking is this idea of living. Like live your life in a way that's worthy of the calling. And notice what he says. He says, and live in a way that you walk with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then notice what he says. He's, he's telling us how individually to live, and then he turns his attention to us as the church. When Paul writes, all the New Testament authors, when they talk about the church, we talked about this last week. They're never talking about you. They're talking about us. Somebody say we. Remember last week we called it y'all or you-ins. <laughs> and it was weird, isn't it? You-ins. So notice what he says. He says, you guys, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Do you see what he says? He says that there is oneness. Somebody say oneness. Like the church has to be about us oneness together as Jesus is working and moving in our lives. And so I, I love this idea, right? Like the, the whole idea of the church, the reason you come to church, the reason you're a part of the church is to be part of this one thing that God is doing in us and through us. Notice what Paul says. He says the church is about we and not me. But then he does say something about you in verse seven. Look back at verse seven. Notice what he says. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's what? His gift. What is he talking about there? This week, my daughter, Emma, she's my oldest. She turned 12 this week. So I got one year left before the teens, although I feel like we're there already, right? She's like 12 going on 17. She's amazing. We had such a fun birthday. Well, we decided on her birthday, we're gonna open up one gift and then we we're going to open the rest of them that night. So we open up their first gift, and she's loving it. She got one of those, you know, Stanley Cups. You know, everybody's got one of those, right? And then she goes, Dad, can I just open them all? 
And I'm like, well, we got to leave for school in 15 minutes, but let's go, right? Let's do it. Let's do it. And so she opens up all her gifts right there. And I don't know, I love giving gifts, right? I mean, I love receiving gifts too. Don't get me wrong. But I love giving gifts. And it is the joy in her face to see her open these gifts. But imagine if I was like, hey, babe, here's your gift. Happy 12th birthday. And she's like, thanks, dad. And then she just walks and puts it in the closet and closes the door, right? Like she would have taken that gift for granted. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that God has given each of us a gift. Don't take it for granted. Use it in the body. Use it in the church. Because for the church to be what it's supposed to be, we have to use the gifts that God has given each of us individually. So Paul here is talking about something called spiritual gifts. Somebody say spiritual gift. Spiritual gift sounds a little weird. Like when you hear the word spiritual gift, you're like, what? Is that like some superpower? Right? I'm like, you know, I'm jumping from building to building. Do I get a cape? Right? Laser beams, so I get laser beams, you know. But spiritual gift isn't the superhero powers. Spiritual gift actually, as we're going to see here in Ephesians 4, is the picture that God gives each of us something special to be used for the building up of the church. Your spiritual gift isn't just for you. Your spiritual gift is for us. It's for we, not me. And There's three places, really, that Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about them right here in Ephesians 4. He talks about leadership. In in Romans chapter 7, he talks about how spiritual gifts work together and, like, the encouragement of the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives a longer list of nine different spiritual gifts and and how he, he says, look, there's all these different gifts, but they all actually are worth the same. You know, just because somebody gets up here can sing or somebody can teach or somebody ha- has some sort of gift that you see doesn't make that any more special than, than somebody else's gift. And so you, you have these gifts, things, things like teaching and, and sharing words of wisdom or sharing words of faith or healing or discernment or tongues and languages or encouragement. And, and I encourage you to go look those up later, but there's all these different gifts that every one of you has been given at least one of. And that is for you to use in the church. Now, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've been a part of a church, maybe you've taken some kind of a spiritual gift survey at some point. You're like, yeah, I think I have the gift of encouragement or, 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 or whatever it may be. If you haven't taken those, we're going to create an opportunity for you to do that later. But it's a really important thing because Paul is saying for you to do all this oneness things, you've got to use the gift that God's given you at the measure that he has given it to you. So you might ask, well, well, then how do I use it? What do I do? Well, there's one reason that Paul gives us these gifts. Look, look at the next verse, verse 12. He says, the gifts that God gives you are for the building up of the body of Christ. There's a, there's a kind of a biblical word. I'll give it to you. It's called edify. Somebody say edify. edify. Try to sneak that into your conversations at work this week. Edify, build up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Now, notice this. The reason that you are given gifts, the reason that you are brought into this beautiful thing called the church is so that you can grow in your faith. Do you see that? To become mature, to grow in your knowledge of Jesus so that we may no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, or in deceitful schemes. What is Paul saying? Just look at culture and you can figure it out. 
A culture in, in, in 33 AD, or 62 AD, or 2024 AD is always trying to get you to, to, to go to and fro. They're always telling you something new that you need to do, something new, a new way you need to think. Your old way was wrong. But the Bible could not be more relevant 2,000 years later than the day it was written, that the world is trying to get you to, to not stay steady and focused on what is right and what is good and what is pure and what is noble. Instead, it wants to take you off path. And Paul says the church and using our gifts in the church is the way that we grow up into mature Jesus followers. Does that make sense, guys? And so what, what, what Paul is, is saying here is this, that God has entrusted you with a spiritual gift to build up the church. Like, like your gift is meant not so that you can have some special thing to brag to your friends about or for you to get rich off of it or whatever it is. Your gift is literally given to you as a believer to build up the church. And I think that is super cool. That is really cool that God gives us these gifts. A few weeks ago, one of my favorite preachers, He's from Jacksonville, Florida. His name's H.B. Charles, and he's such a fantastic preacher. H.B., he, he shared this post, and it really, it was, like a, uh, it was like a gut punch. Here's the post. It was how to kill a church. That's an interesting thing to, to it's like an interesting thing to think about. There's all these things, right? How to kill a church, but the one, but, and all of them really hit me pretty hard, but notice right in the middle, how to kill a church. Well, don't evangelize, regularly criticize your leaders, attend services infrequently, Refuse to volunteer. That's what Paul's talking about right here. And we talk about, Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of a church, and he says that you guys are gonna push back the gates of hell, and you're gonna bring dead things to life. But if you wanna tear down, take the church for granted, and don't be a part and play your role and use your gift. So that's, I mean, that is a big gut punch. God has given you this gift to build up and encourage and strengthen people. When we don't use our gift, when we don't serve and give our gift, what happens is we've taken it for granted, and instead of building up the church, what happens? The church starts falling apart. And guys, look, I love you guys, but I'm gonna tell you, I drive down the street in Denver, and there are too many churches that I know the pastor and that church, and they are struggling. And there are too many churches that I know have closed. And there are too many churches that have been turned into office buildings. And I <clears throat> gently want to say in question, I'm, I'm just asking the question, could it be that we have taken our role in the church for granted? Back in December, we did a survey. You guys remember that survey? Well, I asked, I, we asked you the question in the survey about serving. Our, people that serve at Forefront on Sunday mornings and through the week, we call them the dream team because they're amazing. And we couldn't do this without you. You might see a couple of us up here more often than others, but this church runs because of you, the dream team. You guys are incredible. We asked the question, how many of you guys are plugged into the dream team? Here's the graph. Here's the graphic. I wanted to share the, the results with you. Uh, it, it, you guys, 43.4% says that you guys are really plugged into the dream team and you regularly serve. Another 13% says, yeah, I, I serve a little bit. Two, uh, another uh, nine, almost t- nine and a half percent said, no, not really, maybe a little bit. And then 34% said, no, I don't. And so as, as we look at this number, we, we see about 56% of the church says, no, I'm not really serving. I'm not really volunteering. I'm not really using my gift. Now, I love our church. I love all of you guys. You guys are, are amazing. 
And I see what God does through Forefront because of you. But what could God do if that 56% began using their gifts to serve the church? How could God change Southwest Denver and Harvey Park and, and, and Denver in this world? Because we're all bought in, elbow to elbow, pushing forward to kick back the gates of hell and to bring dead things back to life. You know, the other night, Nikola Jokic dropped 30 points in New York, and the Nuggets lost by 40. How do you lose by 40 when the greatest player in the world drops 30? Because the rest of the team didn't show up. A good team has to have all the players clicking. And the same is true for us as a church, and the same is true for every church on the corner of every street in every neighborhood in every city in America. The reality is, if you have the gift of teaching, we need you to teach. Those kids in the back need you to teach. If you have the gift of encouragement, then the guests that walk into the lobby, they want to see your, they need to see your smiling face because you don't know what they went through this week. If you have the gift of administration, then we need you, I need you to help me keep my stuff in order. (laughs) We, the church, us, we need each other. But it's not just the church that needs you. It's not just the church that needs you to use your gifts. You actually need to use your gifts too. You know, social science has just been exploring this for the last couple decades. It's really interesting. They, you know, know, it's, don't you love when science catches up with the Bible? Like, right? You know, and and so, and, and I love science. Every week I'm telling you about, about, you know, psychology and, and social science and neuroscience. But what is really interesting is that social science has realized that there is something to this giving my time and serving people thing. There is something to this. And so they, they've started to do a lot of surveys and a lot of studies, and they found that people who volunteer, and it's just one time a month, right? This, that's the kind of the, the breakdown. If you volunteer one time a month, they found that you have higher amounts of dopamine in your brain. Now, dopamine's different than what you might be thinking. So dopamine is that chemical that alters your mood and makes you feel less anxious and, and more, more kind of happy. Um, dopamine is that feeling when you get on Amazon real quick and you see the item you wanted to buy, and then the feeling you get after you bought it, that's not dopamine, right? That's guilt, right? That's, that's uh, buyer's shame. And you can, thankfully, Amazon, you can just return it really quick. But they found that you get more dopamine when you volunteer. They found that volunteering people live longer. So we like that one. Uh, lower blood pressure, stress relief. But here is cool. They, they, they did this study. They studied 70,000 people who volunteered one time a month, and they found that people volunteer one time a month are happier than the person that you would give a $1,000 check to. So you ever been given a $1,000 check? Like if you're, me neither. But if somebody gave you a $1,000 check, just imagine you'd be like, wow, this is awesome. Thousand bucks, cool. I get to go buy new golf clubs or whatever it is, right? That's the amount of joy that you receive from serving once a month. Isn't that cool? That's cool. So there is something to this which tells me the same thing the Bible tells us that we are created to serve each other. Somebody asked Jesus one time, What's the greatest thing I need to do? What's the greatest commandments in the Bible? Jesus says, What? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You and I are hardwired to love others through serving them. And social science is confirming this for us. God has 
wired us. Proverbs eleven twenty five says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters himself will be watered. This is this beautiful idea of how God's economy works, that we get something out of actually serving others. And when we do, something special happens. Our faith also grows. When Courtney and I got engaged, we went to a pastor. We were going to a really big church in Kansas City. We went to uh, Pastor Todd Slagle. He's one of my really great friends. Went to Pastor Todd and said, hey, we'd love for you to do our wedding. And he's like, sure, you know, um, we're going to do 13 weeks of marriage, premarital counseling. And I was like, what? I do like eight, right? 13? And then he said, also, I want you guys to start serving in kids ministry. And Courtney and I, we're in our 20s, and I'm like, what do I know about kids ministry? I don't know anything about kids ministry. He goes, hey, I'm going to keep make it easy on you. We're going to put you in the four-year-old class. <laughs> great. Sounds great, Todd. It was the greatest thing. One of the great, outside of meeting my lovely wife, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Just having fun with these little pre-K four-year-old boys, giggling with them, being silly, making silly hats and telling dumb jokes and dancing really weird songs. Did that for two years. And I tell you, in that two years, my faith exploded. My faith grew like crazy. And so then we got upgraded to the fourth grade boys class, four-year-olds to fourth graders. And that was incredible. And here we are teaching God's word. I'm learning so much about God's word, just teaching it. There's something special. When you learn something, teach it. It, it, it sinks in more than just reading it. So here, here I am teaching, Courtney, we're teaching these fourth grade boys. These kids just graduated from high school last year, right? And it was amazing like, to, to, to see this. But something happened. My faith exploded because of what I was doing. And it wasn't because I read something or watched a video. It was because I was serving. See, serving, God, serving God's people sparks our faith. Like when you serve God's people, it doesn't matter what you're doing either. That's, that's the beautiful thing. You can make a coffee. You can be teaching kids. You can be shuffling snow. It doesn't matter. Again, it's something we're hardwired to do. Serving God's people, it literally sparks our faith. Now, some of you, I imagine, you might be saying, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Drew, but deep down, I want to do something bigger than that. Right? I mean, I think like deep down inside of our hearts, we want to do something special. We want to have a purpose. We want to do something for God that we feel is big and beautiful that's going to make an eternal difference. And I get that. And I want that for you. I want that for every single one of you. And I know sometimes it's easy to think, well, how does being a helper in the kids' ministry room once a month really do that? How does saying hello to people when they come into the church, how does that actually do that? How does keeping the building nice or playing bass in the band or leading a life group? How does that really make an impact? And I get what you're saying, at, but, but here, here's what I want to say. The reality is it's through faithful week-in, week-out service where you begin to see God move. God has to change you before he's going to use you to change the world. Does that make sense? You have to be molded and shaped into the person God wants you to be, and it's through regular serving of God's people and God's church that you see that begin to take form. But it starts with me here. One of my earliest memories when I was a kid was going to the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. Anybody been there? A few of you guys have gone east of Denver. It's pretty boring for a while. There's a couple people here that love it. But for most people, it's pretty boring for a while. But um, 
St. Louis is really cool. And so I remember I was like, I don't know, how old are you when you start remembering things? Like four, 12? I mean, I don't remember. But I was, I was young enough that I remember, like, I still had to hold my mom's hand. So I was probably like nine. I was probably like four or five, right? And so we, you guys didn't get that joke. So we, we rode the tram to the very top and we're sitting out and the Cardinals were playing and it was a baseball game. And I'm, I'm literally this little guy trying to peer over the thing. And um, I, if you guys have been to the top, you know it sways. You guys, it's freaky, right? You're just like, mom, is this supposed to do that? She's like, I don't know, son, but it, it is. We found out later, it is. And the arch was really cool. And so I went back years later, went to a Cardinals game, went back years later. I went to the underneath as a visitor center and they have a video of how they made it. Notice this picture. So check this out. Imagine being on that as they're building this thing. So they started building in 1963 and the way they did it was they had 142 sections of 12 foot stainless steel. Now you engineers in the room, you guys understand that, you know, it takes math to figure out how to turn this thing into a McDonald's arch. So they, they started building this thing, and to do it, they had to build cranes. And so those cranes, they've almost done it in this picture. So they, they would build the crane. They would put on the 12, piece of, the 12 pieces uh, or 12-foot section. Then they would tear the crane down, climb up another 12 feet, build the crane again, put on another 12-foot section, repeat, repeat, repeat. They, when, when they did this, they imagined that 13 people would die. You know how many died when they made this arch? Zero because they took their time and they did the work the right way. And day after day, they just went in and plugged along. And several years after grinding, go back to that first picture. You have the, kind of the picture of the, west, of the gateway to the West. Something that you can see from airplanes, something that you can see as you're driving in from miles away, something beautiful. And it was because brick by brick, Day by day, they worked hard to build it. Friends, this is what Jesus is calling us to do in this church. He says that you guys, here's the church. This is the church that's gonna make dead things new, that's gonna push back the gates of hell, that's gonna take things that are, that are ugly and broken and miserable and ruined, and we're gonna bring them new life and we're gonna make them beautiful again. We're gonna take the things that were unlovely and we're gonna make them lovely. And I want you, my people, Jesus says, do it day by day, inch by inch, and brick by brick to build it. And that means that we use our gifts, whatever our gifts are. We realize it's not going to be sparkly and it may not be this super exciting thing all the time, but we're being faithful to give God back our time and our talent and our treasure and our energy as he uses us to build something beautiful because Jesus uses faithful service to change the world. You know, Joseph was in prison for 13 years. The apostle Paul worked 11 years before his first missionary journey. Adoram Judson worked six years in the mission field before the first person said yes to Jesus. William Carey was in India for seven years before anybody was ever baptized. And yet God used all of them to do amazing things, to change the world. And God wants to do the same through you. But it comes to faithfully, week in, week out, plugging along as God builds this beautiful thing called the church. The night Jesus was arrested, 
he sat down with his disciples and he took off his, his outer garment and he sat down and he began to wash the disciples' feet. That was the servant's role. Peter looked at him and said, no, 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 don't do that. And Jesus said, look, you're gonna understand later. Notice what he says. And he says, when he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who spoke creation to existence, the one who came and lived a perfect life and took our place on the cross and died for our sins and rose from the grave. He says, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And when my people join together to serve each other, that's how we build the church. That's how we push back the ugliness of this world and reveal something beautiful that Jesus is creating. Now you might say, well, I, what do I do? I don't even know what my gifts are. Well, I think the first thing you need to do is to discover your gift through spending time with the gift giver. We're going to email out a link tomorrow with a spiritual gift test on it so you can, you can check that out and kind of start wrestling with this. But don't just look at, at, at the computer screen or your phone screen and go, oh, yeah, that's it. No, spend time with the one who gives the gift. Spend time in his word, sing about how you can use that gift. Ask him prayerfully, God, is this the gift that you've given me that you want me to serve the church and, and people with? But don't stop there. Second, you need to ask those who know you. Like ask someone who knows you well, hey, hey, I'm really wrestling with this. I feel like God has given me this gift of encouragement and I'm, I'm thinking about really starting to serve my church in, in this area and, and be an encourager. Do you see that in me? Let people confirm. That's one of the ways that God speaks to me most is when other people confirm in me something that God is saying. But see, it can't stop there. It can't stop here. It's got to start here. And so commit to serving at the church at least one time a month. See, that, that, that's where our, 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 the rubber hits the road. So we're asking God, God, what is my gift? And I'm learning how to use it. And then I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna serve one time a month. See, it's through that that we day by day, inch by inch, brick by brick, join alongside Jesus in his mission to build the church and join together in this beautiful thing. But we can't do it by ourselves. It takes all of us. It's the old saying, it takes a village. But when we do, day by day, inch by inch, brick by brick, joined together. God is going to use you and us to build something beautiful. So this is the journey we're on. I hope you join me. Would you pray with me?